Prior to being named the President and CEO of the United Methodist Children's Home, Blake was the Executive Director of the Samaritan Counseling Center here in Montgomery. Blake, in my opinion, has answered a very unique call of God into ministry, and that is to protect and to provide for the least among us, children and youth and families. And Blake has answered that call, and I'm so grateful that he did. Blake is one of several in our congregation who have heard the call of God on their lives and have gone from the pew into some form of full-blown ministry. Sometimes that's ordained ministry. Sometimes it presents itself in other ways. So we welcome Blake, our own church member, our own friend. He and his family are such a wonderful part of our congregation and our story. Blake has an announcement to share, and it has to do with this very large bell that was so liturgically and wonderfully rolled into place during our middle hymn. So Blake, come share with us this morning. After many weeks of travel all over Alabama and Northwest Florida, it's a great privilege to be in my home church this morning to promote this year's White Christmas offering for the United Methodist Children's Home. But I'm also here to present our church with a special award, the 2019 Guardian of the Bell Award for the Alabama West Florida Conference. This award was created seven years ago to recognize a congregation each year in our conference who's offered our United Methodist Children's Home significant financial support. That's certainly the case with First Methodist of Montgomery, with last year's White Christmas offering totaling just under $40,000, and our church having given easily over $1 million since the 1930s through the White Christmas offering. With this award comes a charge, a unique responsibility, for the next year, our church will house and protect Wendy, our 160-year-old bell that rang on the Selma campus of the United Methodist Children's Home. Wendy is named for the great Alabama storyteller, Catherine Tucker Wyndham, who wrote a short story about the bell celebrating the 100-year anniversary of the home in 1990. Wendy ordered the lives of the children each day on the Selma campus celebrated their accomplishments, warned them of danger, and invited them to worship each Sunday at the chapel. Wendy has become a symbol of our covenant with United Methodist congregations in our conference to care for the vulnerable and orphaned children of Alabama. Our hope is that over the next year, Wendy will be a constant reminder of First Montgomery's great generosity our appreciation, and most importantly, the children and families that we serve at the Children's Home. The level of support from our church for the Children's Home has always been strong, but the relationship has grown in significant ways in recent years. Seven years ago, we made a decision to chart a new course in higher education for our children using a game-changing gift from two members of our church, Walter and Mary Kanabi. We have always done a wonderful job at the children's home of taking care of abused, neglected, and abandoned children while they're young, but we needed to do better in launching them into a thriving adulthood. Foster children have an abysmal college graduation rate. Only 20% of children who've been in foster care go to college, and of that 20%, only 5% actually graduate. 
And so using the Kanabi gift, we design a research-based program that provides college-age foster youth with the kind of wraparound support that they need to be successful. We took two of our group homes that were located in university towns, Tuscaloosa for our young men and Florence for our young ladies, and converted them into higher education homes. Seven years into the program, the results have been astonishing. We currently have 22 young people enrolled in the total program with a combined GPA of 2.85. 60% of all young people who've started the program have been retained in the program, and 100% of current students are progressing toward their degrees. So far, we've had 10 graduates from the program, with three more slated for this spring. Last Saturday, I traveled to Tuscaloosa to watch an amazing young man in our program graduate from the University of Alabama. I met Timothy at the Bryant-Jordan Scholarship Awards Banquet almost five years ago. He was selected as one of the program's achievement recipients and as such automatically qualified to interview for our residential higher education program. Timothy was about to graduate from Abbeville High School and had little hope of attending college due to his family situation. He grew up in Dothan's housing project until he moved to Abbeville in sixth grade. His early childhood memories are a haze, but he recalls not always having electricity and a mother who drank constantly and was always angry and abusive. When he was 11, Timothy, his sister, and his brother were removed from their mother's home and placed in kinship care with his grandmother, and her husband. Timothy's grandmother did the best she could, but there were precious few resources for sending Timothy to college. He actually had fewer resources for college than if he'd been placed with a foster family. We saw something special in Timothy that day at the Bryant-Jordan banquet. He was humble and well-spoken, yet the thing I remember thinking the most was that he had what my old college baseball coach called a bad case of the wants. Timothy wanted a better life, and he wanted it badly. And so we offered Timothy a full scholarship in housing in our higher education program in Tuscaloosa. Initially, he majored in athletic training, but after watching the movie La La Land, he was inspired to follow the movie's primary theme, which is, here's to the fools that dream. La La Land asks its viewers the question, what are you willing to give up to pursue your dream? Timothy felt that was a sign. So shortly after seeing the movie, he switched his major to creative media. Writing and directing short films has become his passion. He's written numerous scripts and he's directed a film for a senior project currently in the editing process. His short film, the Rose That Grew From Concrete focuses on specific life lessons between a mother and a daughter. Timothy says he chose that subject because women have been very impactful in my life. I don't have a close relationship with my mother, but I've had other women come into my life and show me what having a mother is like. A number of those women are our staff members at our Tuscaloosa Higher Education Home. Timothy's a wise young man, 
When interviewed by the university recently, he was quoted as saying, Over this semester, in the process of putting my film together, I learned that dreams don't work unless you do. I tell myself that every day. Timothy now plans to spend a year working in media. Following that, he hopes to go to film school to continue refining his skills. We depend on your gifts each and every year, not only to care for young children who've been abused, abandoned, and neglected, but to launch promising young people like Timothy. While the Kanabi gift covers tuition, books, and housing, it doesn't cover something equally important, round-the-clock spiritual and emotional support provided by our staff, the mothers that Timothy mentions. That's the key difference. That's what's enabling us to take a population of students with a 5% college graduation rate and graduate them at rates well beyond the general student population. In closing, I'm pleased to announce this year that we have received a generous matching pledge from a member of First Montgomery that will allow us to significantly grow this year's White Christmas offering. I hope you'll help us take advantage of this gift and in the process, help grow more roses from concrete. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Blake. That is the Advent message, is it not? That the deserts will bloom and in our case, the concrete will spring forth roses. That God can do something with the most barren and insignificant and unassuming and impossible situation and bring forth life. That's my belief. I hope it is yours as well. Envelopes for our white Christmas offering will be available in our services uh, throughout um, Christmas Eve as our offering for communion earlier this month was designated for this very cause. All of our collections for our Christmas Eve will go to support the United Methodist Children's Home to make a difference in the life of a child or a youth or a college student, to give beyond ourselves. How great a gift that is. I read a poem this week It goes like this. It says, my face in the mirror is not wrinkled or drawn. My house is not dirty. The cobwebs are gone. My garden looks lovely and so does my dawn. I think I might never put my glasses back on. (laughs) How's your vision these days? I hope you can sense from what our worship committee has done and what you all have done to prepare this place to adorn it for the beauty of Christmas, that you're soaking it all in. But how's your Advent vision? How's your vision to see what God is doing among us and to see what God is is doing next? One of you told me at the break about your Advent vision. You said, you're just ready for Jesus to hurry up and be born. (laughs) I don't know if that's too many office parties or what. Who knows? I'm reminded of Proverbs 29 that without vision, people do what? Say it louder. Perish. That's right. I think God's people are designed and intended to dream like Timothy, 
And like Joseph from today's text, today's reading is one that is quite curious in the biblical lectionary. It is the Annunciation of Joseph, Joseph's version of the Annunciation. Very little mention about a virgin, about Mary. There's no donkey or, or cows. You won't hear about a silent night or shepherds or star or magi. But what you will hear in this Advent story from Matthew's Gospel is about a vision. You read about a man, you heard about a man who could have easily left Mary and a newborn to fend for themselves. He had every right to do so under the demands of the law. Joseph would not give in to demands. Instead, he would give himself to dreams. One of our Advent dreams should be a reminder that every story is redeemable. One of our Advent dreams should be the reality that every situation is salvageable, that every scenario is possible with God. So how's your Advent vision? Mary's situation, we all know, was less than ideal in the world's eyes. She was not married. She was engaged. She was pregnant with a child that was not Joseph's. Now, Nazareth only had about 250 people, a little small backwoods Nazareth, This situation would not have been like the best family photo Christmas card opportunity. And Joseph was ready to walk away. Maybe maybe Joseph thought the situation was more than he had signed up for or that he thought it would taint his family's name. I wonder if Joseph had his entire life planned up to this very moment, dreamed of taking his wife and All of that was shattered by the news that surely there must be a scandal. Cue the gossip, right? In the face of an untenable, a very difficult situation, Joseph was ready to throw in the towel. Wouldn't we all? We don't know very much about Joseph. He's never given a single word in all of Scripture In fact, in most artwork, icons and and other depictions of Joseph, he's usually in the background. Very rarely is he in the foreground. At our crash here, he he even is is just standing unassumingly off to the the side, assisting with light and helping with Mary and, and being Joseph. No spoken part, Joseph. Joseph's trade, we often say, is he was a carpenter. The Greek word is is tekton, and and that can be, and often is, translated as a carpenter, one who works with wood. choir marvelously sang about that with these texts earlier from Mr. Forrest. Tekton can also be one who worked with stones, and that makes sense. If you visited Israel, you know this, because Nazareth sits uh, adjacent to a city called Sepphoris, and Sepphoris was a rock quarry, a a stone quarry from where Rome would extract these wonderfully large boulders, much larger than Wendy the Bell, and would use them, would hew them to pave the road so that people could experience the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. They had this big apparatus, this wonderful mechanism 
for doing just that in Sepphoris, adjacent to a very humble Nazareth from where the Prince of Peace would come. The peace of Rome came through force. The peace of Christ came through a child. So here's Joseph faced with a difficult situation. What do I do? What do I do? I know what the law tells me I can do, but I know what my dreams about what might be are telling me. Joseph is the patron saint of workers in the Catholic Church. He's earned that title, I think. What would Joseph do amid all the political implications of Mary's child being the king of kings coming from this town next to this empire quarry? What would Joseph do with this child who would be the one to usher in a new Israel and make Israel great again, who would dive right into the chaos and the scandal. You know what Joseph did? He dreamed. In light of the social constructs, the embarrassment of the whole situation, Joseph dreams. Even with this cryptic word that the Holy Spirit will cause Mary to conceive, Joseph dreams. I can't help but think that in his wondering how and what God must be up to in this entire situation, amid the confusion and the madness and the embarrassment and the mystery, Joseph falls asleep (laughs) and dreams. What's your Advent dream amid all that life is throwing you? Amid the chaos of the season, the fogginess of the season, the want just to see past the next two days and just uh, just get through it all. One more year, one more day, one more time. Or maybe, how will I get through the next 48 hours since my loved one died? Or since my family split up? How will I get through that? That's... That's an unreasonable thing of you to ask of me, God. How can you expect me to step up into this situation? Joseph dreamed. Perhaps that's the beauty of Joseph's willingness. Walter Brueggemann says that so often in the Bible, the restless and the wrestling traveler is changed by his dream when they begin discovering the purpose for which they were created. Maybe that's... The beauty of Joseph's willingness to dream is that he's dreaming toward a purpose. And in dreaming toward a purpose, he discovers his promise, God's promise. And if a person like Joseph can dream toward a purpose and discover a promise, then maybe he can find passion. And behind passion is possibility. We say behind passion is it's just impossible. <laughs> With God, all things are possible. Susan Andrews is a theologian, and she said that Matthew calls Joseph a righteous man, but only because Joseph's righteousness is based on love, not on the law. That Joseph's rightness has to do uh, with God, entrusting Joseph with uh, intuition and with imagination. You know, this past week, I, I put out a call on social media, and I asked you to help inform this service, this sermon, 
I wanted you to share with me what your Advent dreams are, to see whose visions of sugar plums are aligning with the vision for the church and community. And a couple of you are dreaming the same dreams because you both said the same thing independent of one another. You're both dreaming about the day when people will stop fighting amongst themselves while there are so many wonderful things for us to accomplish together. And, and someone else said, one of our members said, I missed the day when people were kind to one another and at the very least were, were polite because it doesn't cost a, a dime to be kind. Advent dreams are supposed to be the most countercultural moments of the season. We mark it with these melancholy purple paraments all around and the come now long expecting Jesus. And I'm ready for that in the bleak midwinter to go ahead and hibernate for another 11 months or so. But we're in this season of waiting, anticipating, and hopefully dreaming. So what are your Advent realities that have accompanied you here today? Impossible situations? Fear about what tomorrow holds? Fear about what Christmas morning holds? Fear about what the new year holds? Marked throughout the Gospels and throughout the biblical narrative is this one phrase, I say it all the time, the most recurring theme in all of Scripture. Do not be afraid. That's right. We need Advent dreams about concrete that will produce a rose. We need Advent dreams about the places where deserts are already blooming all around us. And we need Advent dreams about a silent night when the wonder and the mystery of incarnation changed the way all human beings would relate to God and each other for all eternity. We need Advent dreams about all the places where the crooked will be made straight and the mountains will be brought low and the valleys will be raised up and the rough places made a plain and all flesh, all flesh, all means all, will see it together. We need Advent dreams, friends, about solving challenges in our own community and following the example of Joseph to make himself available and not running from those challenges. We need Advent dreams where we'll stop fighting among ourselves in our homes and in our community and even in our beloved denomination because when God's people give in to fear and fighting, it doesn't solve exclusion and hunger, poverty and racism, but Advent dreams can. And we need Advent dreams to hear God's voice to say, everything's going to be okay. And I will give birth once again through my people. You see, the thing with Joseph and Mary, they were the most educated, the most talented, the most anything. They were just available and humble. And what I love about this text, among other things, but what I love that Joseph did not do is he did not remain in his dreamy slumber. It says, he got up and he went at it. He did what the angel had said. In other words, he went to work. Despite the darkness, 
uncertainty, despite even knowing how the situation would turn out, Joseph went to work. Joseph takes the high road. I think this is important, not because of social convention or arrogance or anything else, but because God intervened into Joseph's story in a very unexpected way through an Advent dream, as if to say, I know the life that you anticipated. I know the one you had all planned out, but everything will be okay. Despite the optics of the situation, it will be okay. Regardless of the gossip, over against all the plans you had for yourself, it, it will be okay. And in fact, this is only the beginning. One final thing. Somehow Joseph had to figure out how to decide whether to trust this child or not. Whether to trust that this child had within his power to do anything other than be needy. You know, children need to be fed and nurtured and warmed. Joseph steps up to the clarion call of his dream as if to say, I believe in this child and I will do my part to train up this child in the way that he should go, even if it means going against my plans and my ideals and my comfort zone and what my friends might say or how my family might feel. This child is worth it. And I wonder if we're daring enough to dream this Advent about the possibilities that can happen through our children What are we doing when we walk away from community challenges as if to say those are somebody else's to solve? If we will dream like Joseph and listen to the call on our lives as a church to do whatever it takes to step up and to step in and to step out and to support the future of our church and our city, oh, where will God lead us? So friends, we need more Marys who will be God-bearers and deliver Christ into this world and we need more Josephs who at whatever cost will say, that child, these children, the least among us are my responsibility, are our responsibility, because God, God just might perform another miracle through them to change the world. So I'm grateful for Family Promise. I'm grateful for our own children's programming. I'm grateful for the United Methodist Children's Home we don't do all of these things for bragging rights or a big, a really big bell. We do it because we believe in a child's ability to change the world. That Jesus Christ can be born in mangers all over this city again and again and again. So thank you, church, for making Advent dreams a Christmas reality just two days from now. Our Advent dreams will become a reality as we celebrate the coming of the Christ child. What are we willing to give up to achieve our Advent dreams? Like Joseph, like Timothy, about whom Dr. Horn spoke, dreams don't work unless we do. Thanks be to God for Joseph and for this text. Amen.